Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. And if you know somebody who would benefit from the Organic Gardener Podcast, we would just love it if you would share it with a friend. Now let's get growing. Welcome to the Organic Gardener Podcast today. I am very, very excited to meet someone who is a very new friend. We've just met, but I feel like it's going to be a friend in the future because we just naturally seem to hit it right off. And so I'm super excited because she's another rock star millennial. And I just feel like it's like millennial week or something. Um, always so excited to talk about um, the people who I think are changing our planet and really care about the environment and are just out there, you know, um, doing their best to help educate people and share their passions. And so she's in San Francisco, California, and she's just written a book called Deeply Rooted Medicinal Plant Cultivation in Tetropolis. And we all know technology is another one of my favorite topics. So welcome to the show, Bonnie Rose Weaver. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. All right. Well, and uh, we also, my address is very close to the address of your garden. Or is that is that it? The 1849 Medicine Garden? Oh, yeah. That's a great question. Um, yeah, I, I used to have a garden in the middle of San Francisco in the Mission District. And it was located on Guerrero Street at 18th. And a lot of times people would confuse the address of the garden with the name of the garden um, or the name of the project, which is 1849 Medicine Garden. Um, but the address was actually in the 500 block. So um, it's funny you should ask. The name 1849 comes from the history of the land that I work, which is um, in San Francisco and Northern California, we, um, you know, kind of trace our history back to what we know as the gold rush. And that's what made San Francisco kind of, um, uh, the beginnings of the city that it is today. Um, it was a boom town. It was a town that, um, was, you know, kind of built overnight in a sense. And, um, as much of the legacy that we have, um, across the Americas and especially in the United States, one of colonial settler um, history. And so I use that name to kind of root us in where we are now, which is uh, 2017. And um, I've been working in San Francisco on growing medicine for the past four or five years. And I've also seen a similar type of boomtown here based in the technology, second technology boom. Um, and so I just try to kind of point that out, try to acknowledge the effect that we've had on the land in a cultural and ecological way and really try to call in like the appropriateness of uh, time and place as medicine in my work as an uh, urban farmer. Okay. Wow. All right. I don't know what made me think that it was about your address then. <laughs> Maybe just because it's so close to mine. Because now that you say that, it does look like a year. So, yeah. Um, it, and maybe that's the ambiguity of it is that, you know, in cities we have all sorts of numbers for different reasons. And this one I kind of put out there as almost like a thinking piece. Like, let's try to remember, you know, where we come from. I like that. All right. <laughs> 
Well, so I always do kind of start the show asking about, like, your very first gardening experience. Like, were you a kid? Were you an adult? Who were you with? What'd you grow? Like, what was your very first gardening experience? I love that question. And it's um, one that I like to ask people as well. I wrote a book, as uh, you mentioned, called Deeply Rooted. And the book starts out with my very first gardening experience, which was... When I was probably three or four, I was in preschool. And another part of my story and kind of the love and admiration that I have for San Francisco is that I was born and raised here. So I went to preschool a couple blocks from where my medicine garden was located. And I was fortunate enough to have a little farm at my preschool. And I can remember arguing with my three or four year old peers about how plants take in water. And I don't remember what we were growing. It might have been a tomato or a pea. Um, It really could have been anything. And my peer was adamant that the plants took in water from their roots. And I said, no way. They take them in through their leaves (laughs) because it didn't make like I just didn't understand what. I didn't know where what roots were because I'd never seen them before because I was three. Um, and just that whole like consciousness raising of like what plants are and how they work. <laughs> um, it's funny what the weird things we remember from childhood, isn't it? Like the things that stand oh, yeah. out. So telling. I mean, I, I, I really think that some of my most vivid memories of life early life have to do with being outside and being with plants and and that it took me a long time to realize that that was a a calling and a path of mine and certainly being raised in the city I didn't have a lot of access to plants or plant medicine my family went camping a couple times a year and there was kind of this otherness to the to the natural world that was you know, outside of me, outside of the city. And, and that was something I I was certainly raised to appreciate, but um, I didn't really garden that much as a kid. And then when I was an adult, I actually came kind of full circle with my interest in gardening. And when I was a a young adult, um, kind of pursuing that as an extracurricular, and then um, kind of just at, along the way when I was living in Olympia, Washington began to get this expo- exposure to plant medicine. And so not just only being aware of plants, but being aware of them as, uh, you know, beings and, um, forces of healing and that I, I will probably never let go of what it felt like to relearn that or to, to really take that into my being because that it had been such a divorce of um, what is medicine and what is the natural world in my lived experience. Um, so just kind of the, the idea of plant medicine was, was quite intense for me at the, at, at the beginning. Um, and because I'd never been around it. And so I really never want to take that for granted and have a really big, um, emphasis and a lot of compassion for people who are just aren't exposed to plant medicine. And so the, the mission of my project 1849 is in for, uh, excuse me, 
the mission of 1849 is access to an education about herbal medicine. And so through that, I've done a couple different projects. One was a medicine garden, like I mentioned. Um, now it's, it's kind of taken um, incarnation of this book. And I'm not sure what else is next, but I'm definitely still very passionate about sharing my love of plant medicine. Okay. Well, why don't you tell some listeners, maybe if they're not familiar with plant medicine, like what it is and maybe like, so I'm imagining it's taking maybe herbs that you grew in your garden. So maybe if you want to talk about that and then making them into medicines or maybe I'm completely off. No, totally. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different layers to really what plant medicine is. And I'll just start off with the idea that all of our ancestors practiced plant medicine. And so that's one unifying piece that I, that I I like to draw people in with. So wherever you are, yeah, wherever you are, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, you had ancestors that use plant medicine. And so that's your personal connection right there. And for me, my ancestors come from modern day Italy, Croatia, and Ireland. And so a lot of my interest and pursuit of herbal medicine is from Europe. And that is what we currently call Western herbalism. So um, that being a differentiation from like a traditional Chinese medicine or classical Chinese medicine or Ayurveda or um, those are some of the more well-known types of medicine um, but there's truly medicine from from all over the world all of our ancestors had different forms and in some ways probably were related at some point um, and ha- have also um, shifted with the influence of time and, and trade and, um, place and, and so much of herbalism is based in place because it's based on the plants that one has access to. And so a lot of my, what we call materia medica or the collection of herbs that I use as medicine are herbs from Europe that have been introduced to the Americas. And then also some that are native to the Americas and all of them grow in the San Francisco Bay area. Um, I, because I'm, I come from uh, kind of an urban farmer background. Um, I, when I started getting interested in herbal medicine, I shortly thereafter gained a huge interest in urban farming. And um, kind of the the kickoff to this project was a question that I had, which was, what is local medicine? When I was beginning urban farming, I um, I was kind of transfixed by this idea that we are able to grow our own food in the middle of San Francisco and how powerful is that and how powerful is it that you can see an artichoke growing Um, and as an urbanite there's not even really that much of a connection between food and uh, people and so I wanted to take it another step and as my studies developed I developed kind of cultivated this 
collection of herbs that grow well in San Francisco. And in a lot of ways, I tried all sorts of herbs. I had over 50 different medicinal herbs growing. Um, but there was certain ones that really stood out because they grew so well. And they grew in this way that I had a, enough abundance that I started um, processing them in a traditional way in, in the Western herbalist tradition to kind of process and preserve an herb is to take the herb fresh and oftentimes uh, there's a weighing process of um, the weight of the herb to the amount of liquid that you're going to use. But essentially you are putting the herb into alcohol and that's what's called a tincture. And so if you've ever gone into a herb shop or a health food store and seen a lot of little bottles with dropper tops, that is most likely a tincture. And so that's a fresh plant extract in alcohol. And um, I okay. Okay. So you were saying you were talking about tinctures made in a health food store. Oh yeah. So if you've ever walked into a health food store or a herb shop and you see a lot of little bo brown bottles with dropper tops on them, that is a tincture. And so, so, I mean, it really just depends on what angle you're coming at. Some people are raised using tinctures, and, and I certainly wasn't. And so I just like to start at the basics with saying, like, that's what that is, and that's what I use as kind of the main medium of herbal medicine. And the reason I use it as my main medium is that it's a tincture lasts for 10 years. So if I'm gardening and I have an amazing passion flower vine that is ready for processing. It's in full flower. It's probably mid to late summer. I can collect my passion flower and preserve it into the alcohol. And I have enough, you know, nervous system support for me and all of my friends for the next many, many years. And there's other ways to use herbal medicine, like drying the herb and then using that, that as tea, um, I mean, there's, it, it's kind of infinite. You can put herbs into vinegar. You can put herbs into oil. You can make lotion. You can put them in your bath. Um, you could use them for smudging. You know, you could use them in ceremony. There's it, honestly an infinite way of how to use herbs. And I actually think that part of the medicine is truly just being the tender of the medicinal plant and being able to appreciate and acknowledge the energy that the plants give you. So part of the medicine for me has certainly been being a medicinal plant cultivator um, is just the honor in that and the energy that I get around being a part of having them be a part of my life um, on an energetic level. And I think all gardeners can appreciate that. And I think, I think that's part of why people love gardening is that we get to be around the plants and, and they feed us in a kind of spiritual way. So do you want to like how I, I'm not really sure. Like, like, so you said passion flowers for like nervous system support. I guess I'm like wondering like, how do you, how would like somebody know that Pat, that's what passion flowers for? And like what other herbs, like if somebody was just starting out and wanted to plant, like, are there some basics that you start with or? Yeah, totally. Um, and I mean, so another aspect of my work, um, the, a story that I'll share briefly is that 
I came to herbal medicine like many people because I was sick and um, I grew up with asthma and so I had been taking inhalers for my most of my life and steroids and and other types of inhalers and the, those types of medicines don't fix the problem. They're not preventative or um, like a long-term solution. And so that was my first project was to research plants that were good for the lungs. And after about a couple weeks of research and then starting to take the herbs every day for three months, I noticed my lungs were much stronger. And uh, ever since then, I have never taken another inhaler. And that experience um, was one of the most profound experiences in my life. And I wanted to share that feeling. And I wanted to share that empowerment that I got. Um, I was thinking of that. (laughs) That it's like, because like you telling your story is sharing with other parents who are probably like, Wow, I you know because asthma affects a lot of kids. You know, as a teacher, you see it. And... Totally, I meet people all the time who are adults or who are kids and and who live with asthma. And I, you know, everybody's different. Everybody, you know, we are um, biology and chemistry in action, and so all herbs affect each person differently. And I think there's lots of different types of asthma, and there's, I mean, and asthma is just one example. I, I think right. that every state of being can be uh, assisted with a plant in some way. Um, but yeah, people tell me all the time, oh, I have asthma. And I, I feel like, well, you know, have you tried her? <laughs> I just want to say, and there's an appropriateness to, to this, but, you know, I want to say, have you, have you tried herbs? Because there's a lot of herbs that support the lungs and can help you um, move mucus or help you um, kind of have greater lung capacity or, you know, just generally have an affinity to keeping the lungs healthy. And so your question was, how do I know or how does one know how a plant works as medicine or what it, um, what it works on in the body. Yeah. And that is certainly a whole different repertoire than the growing aspect of it. So I, in my book, I have half of the book is, uh, stories and essays about being a medicine farmer and how I came to it and what it means to me. And then the second half of the book is, um, collection of monographs, which are essays about individual herbs. And um, I like to call it the Bay Area medicine chest because they're the herbs that grow well in the Bay Area, but really also all over the country. A lot of them are weeds. And um, one thing that, you know, a newly interested, excited medicine gardener would want to to look at in a plant, um, there's tons of books. Like you could order my book, you could order really any book on herbalism. And if, especially if it has good photos and you can start to do your plant ID, that's really helpful. I love Rosemary Gladstar's books and sometimes like Reader's Digest has good books for beginners, um, those types of things. But one aspect or or component of starting to understand how herbs work as medicine is really just studying them um, when you're in the garden. And so um, there's a principle called the doctrine of signatures 
that is a very, very old idea. I believe it was um, kind of developed by Proclesius. And it's the idea that something looks like what it helps. So, um, for example, you know, with food or something, you have like the walnut has omega-3s and 6s and that, I, I believe, um, I'm not a nutritionist, but it has the omegas that are good for you and good for your brain. And it looks like a brain. And so that's the same in the garden. Um, you know, you have something like passion flower. It is a vine and it trails all over the place and it has um, these beautiful complex flowers. And a lot of people will um, say that, well, there's a, there's a saying about passion flower, which it clears chatter of the mind and um, helps us kind of uh, slow down. And um, it's, it's a great remedy for kind of uh, tuning, tune, kind of tune, like getting ready for bed and, um, and just being a little bit more relaxed and and that's, it, it almost looks like the nervous system in terms of the way that it has the intricate leaves and um, flowers and, and the way that it, it you know, the, the nervous system is like a collect, is like a web and, and passion flower is like a web. Um, and so that's well, one that's way. That's neat. I never heard any of this before. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, mullein, if you know that plant, it's a biennial. It grows a rosette of green furry leaves the first year and then the second year or third year sometimes it shoots up a really big stalk and the leaf is traditionally used as a lung tonic and it the leaf looks like a lung you know and it has like the the lung has all these little kind of crevices and the mullein leaf is covered in all these little fine hairs and a lot of herbs that have really big leaves support the lungs it's it's like it's the, it's the doctrine of signatures if the plant needs a big breathing palate it's going to help you with your breathing surface too um and then with a stalk it makes flowers that people use they look a little bit like ears and people use them for earaches and and that sort of thing so the list goes on with the doctrine of signatures and truthfully it's it's totally up to you to to kind of see that and um, develop that in terms of like how you look at the plants in the garden and in the medicine for the medicine. Um, and there's a really great book that I like called the language of plants by Julia Graves. If, if that's something that's really interesting to, to folks, you can check that out. Okay. I'm going to check that out. So I, if you don't, we can edit this out, but if you like the plant that I have the most of it is oregano. Oh, yeah. I can do with oregano. Totally. I mean, the beauty of um, of herbs is that they herbs kind of live on a spectrum of edible to medicinal. So if you, you can pick any herb and you can say, um, you know, really any plant and say like, is this a medicinal plant or is this an edible plant? And then there's even some plants that, you know, in high doses are toxic. And that is the important part of, you know, knowing what plant you're using and how to use it and the appropriateness of all of that. There's a lot to know. And once you study it, you gain a familiarity and, um, and, and that I recommend that, um, because, 
jumping into anything is just, you know, like anything else, you don't know what you're doing. Um, but when you, when you know the plant, you can say like garlic. Okay. So it is going from medicine to food. I would put garlic right about in the middle because we eat a lot of it, but we don't eat like a whole bowl of garlic. And then you have like a carrot and then carrots would be on the food side. And then you have something like oregano, which was maybe be between medicine and garlic because it's something that we use on our food, but even more sparingly. And then for example, passion flower would be the farthest on the medicine side because you wouldn't even want to put passion flower on your food as a topping because it doesn't really taste that great um, in terms of like what you're looking for as flavor and nutrition. But you have something like oregano, which um, any herb that you know as a spice or something that you would find in a, in a kitchen is kind of the test to how safe it is. So oregano, garlic, rosemary, thyme, those are all really safe herbs because no one's worried about you're going to put too much, you know, thyme on your pizza or oregano on your pizza and that's not a thing. But then with medicinal herbs, you do have to be aware of dosing. And so that's why they're a little bit more kind of revered or controlled. Um, Mm -hmm. And oregano, all of the herbs that we know is kind of like spicy Italian herbs are great for the immune system. They have a lot of antibacterial, antiviral essential oils that are really tasty to us. And that's why we put them in our pasta sauce. And, um, that also is kind of the first step in understanding the connection between food and medicine and actually allowing food to be our medicine because, um, and then that's also the kind of the symbiosis that we have with plants as, as people, which is that plants produce phytochemicals or plant chemicals that are able, that keep them safe, but then also, we're able to break them down. We've co-evolved with all of these plants and they produce things that also are beneficial to us. So a lot of the plants are wild and some of the plants are, are cultivated in have been cultivated in gardens for a long time, like the oregano, thyme, rosemary. And if you think about how that might've happened is that a plant, if it's loved by a human is going to be propagated and so in this way you're actually working for the plant the plant isn't working for you um and yeah does that make sense Mm -hmm. okay um it's kind of this like complex web of um yeah really kind of getting your feet wet and dirty in the garden while like just allowing the earth like loving the earth and allowing the earth to love you oh <laughs> uh so do you want to do you want to talk about like any of the stories in your book i mean podcasting is always like it's always nice to have a story like do you want tell us one of the stories in your book or maybe a little bit to tease people and get them to want to check out your whole book sure yeah um, um. 
Um, I would love to do that. Um, I guess I want to kind of highlight, there's a lot of great stories, I feel, in this book. Um, I mean, every plant has its own story. And the book kind of started out as a goodbye project to the garden. Um, I was farming a 16th of an acre, and that's, in San Francisco, a big backyard. But um, in San Francisco, that's a a big backyard. And so... um, you know, I, I had been there for three or four years and then was asked to leave by my landlord. And I think that kind of speaks to where we are in terms of a country and a, as economy. Like San Francisco is the most expensive uh, place to live ever in the history of the world. And um, it everything's expensive and, and people are kind of stingy with what they want to give and kind of consider things to be a resource. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean it in a, um, this is the type of culture that we live in. We live in a I live inside of the internet and, and there's aspects of, of technology that affect me on a daily basis, meaning that the cost of living is, is very high. And, you know, like Twitter is on market street and there's Google buses that run up and down in every neighborhood all the time. And, um, surviving as somebody who lives and works as a medicine maker and as a farmer and as an aspiring herbalist, community herbalist, and I just don't have the um, quite yet the capital to afford to compete with something like a, literally a, a roof over my head in the most expensive city in the world. So um, a lot of my pursuit of herbalism has been a bit of an experiment. And there's a, a sister project that I learned a lot from in San Francisco that also recently closed. It was an urban farm called Little City Gardens. And so I had inherited my my uh, land from them and also had learned a lot from them and then kind of built my own kind of political stance and, and um, place, understanding of place in in the kind of like local, local medicine, local food, uh, consciousness. Um, and that was the development of a CSA program. So community supported agriculture and every month my members would get a tincture. So a plant that grew in the garden preserved in alcohol and then a little booklet, which was, uh, an essay about the plant. And, um, when I was asked to leave, I decided to compile all of those essays into this book and then add some more stories. Aww. And this one story that I wanted to share with you is a essay in the book called Harvest. And it kind of talks about how complicated our life is right now. Um, you know, we have so much access to so much information and um, we... In, in cities, we live really densely, so a lot of kind of our natural needs of like uh, space and decompression and connecting to the earth are disrupted. And at the same time, we have so much connection. Like we have, um, you know, social media. We have, you know, people all around us all the time. And so, kind of being able to live in balance with the earth and with the plants. Um, can be a, tr- a, a an extreme blessing and also very difficult. And so Harvest talks about how 
I, um, kind of how I relate to the land and how I was able to let my garden be a portal to other people to, to relate to land and what that means in terms of we live on stolen land. We live on a lonely land that uh, was rebuilt by gold miners and shaped by history with hippies, by houseless people, by the LGBTQ movement, um, with, you know, by artists, by Latinos in the mission, by the Chinese, by the history and the legacies of the people that built the infrastructure and developed the land and, and, you know, now, um, is run by what we call techies or, you know, people that run the internet. And, and so, you know, like how we kind of work, how each, how herbal medicine is this component of uh, health and well-being that live really deeply in us and also have been a bit forgotten and how do we kind of uncover that and and really start to like live into what is truly healing and um holistic and I there's one there's one part of this essay that people tend to like which is a friend came to the garden one day and she was a fellow herbalist and she wasn't as familiar with the plant. So if you're an herbalist, you don't necessarily know about plant, me- like, um, excuse me, if you're an herbalist, you don't necessarily know the plants firsthand, but you know their actions and their names. And then if you're a farmer, you don't necessarily know the way the plants or, or gardener, you don't necessarily know the way the, the plants work as medicine. So there's kind of this divide and she was in the garden and kind of wandering around and trying to identify stuff. And she came across a plant and kind of freaked out because she had had such a long-term connection with the plant and it had helped her in this really meaningful way after a breakup. It's a plant called motherwort that is kind of known for when you need a mother. It's in the mint family. It's a heart tonic. It can work on the physical and emotional level. So it's this really special plant and she didn't recognize it. And then when I told her what it was, she was just totally transfixed and um, just kind of like hung out with the plant for a long time and, you know, kind of talked to it and, and really got to experience what it felt like to be around that plant. So that's a piece of harvest. And then, yeah, another piece of the book that I wanted to share with you today is a piece that I've actually never been asked about, not in an interview, not by a friend, not by, you know, anyone. And it's a piece called, a little piece of writing called Grow Together. And it's just a couple paragraphs. And the the kind of like funny backstory is that I wrote it on my phone. A lot of the book kind of came to me when I would be doing something else, like some message would, would kind of I would, I would get the meaning of something while I was at work or, you know, kind of meditating some somewhere on the bus and, um, I would just have to write it down. And so this piece was from when I was sitting, um, in this kind of empty lot that had been 
in the back of a lot that had been a farm and it, it wasn't a piece, it was a piece that hadn't really been developed yet as a farm. And I was sitting on a rock and all around me was growing really tall nettle, excuse me, I was sitting on a rock and I was surrounded by really tall fennel and then there was blackberry crawling on the ground and another plant that we use as medicine called mugwort. And I was kind of transfixed by this feeling of not just being around one plant, but the combination of plants. And all of these plants grow wild in San Francisco and I believe in many parts of the country all three of them are not planted and they have their own ways of protecting themselves. So the fennel, if you've ever tried to dig out a fennel bulb, wild fennel is really hard to dig out and really hard to remove from a garden. Even if you do get the root, it'll sprout back with all its millions of seeds. And blackberry has a really strong root and it's also very pokey. And then mm -hmm. you have mugwort that is just kind of this... It loves the swamp. A lot of herbs love kind of like roadside, disturbed soils. It's a rhizomal plant. And it's got this really incredible smell. Um, it's one of a kind. And um, anyway, just the, the feeling of, of being around these plants and picking up their energy and, and kind of admiring each one of their superpowers, each one of their defense mechanisms, each one of their medicines. And so that little essay, Grow Together, is just about what is the medicine of the plants that grow together? What is the medicine of really sinking into one's land and one's place and one's um, kind of context? And this particular place that I was sitting if you know about these plants, are, is also was kind of like a swamp, or not a swamp, but a, a riverbed. So you can really kind of begin to learn about what the plant's needs are by observing it and, and seeing, okay, these plants need shade or water or sun or whatever it is that they need to thrive. And I think that's really where um, people who are gardeners should begin in terms of developing their medicine path is that observation component and um you can learn a lot from the plants like that wow that was so eloquent well i think you really did a good job of teasing listeners and they're going to want to get your book and read those <laughs> stories and just you're just like you know when you start a podcast and my podcasting group are like a lot of the business things they always talk about your avatar and like who you know, who's in your audience, who you're talking to. And to me, you just seem like you're a lot like my avatar. Like, I think a lot of my listeners are going to relate to you a lot. So oh. I, I think they're going to enjoy this. And, Thanks. um, and I was thinking like, when you talked about like your story, come like, I think I have over 2000 notes on my phone because I'm always getting those ideas. And then I always tell my mom when she's like, you should be working on this or you should be finishing that. And I'm like, I don't know, like when it comes to me, I hear it. I hear it so clear. I can't stop till it's written down. But then if I don't hear it, I can't just sit and stare at a white page and just make something happen because there's a, it's the time to like, I don't know, either I see it if I'm trying to paint something or I hear it if it's the words for a book and they just kind of mm -hmm. all come together when they do. To me. Yeah. 
It's a funny world we live in. I mean, I, I mean, so then there's the juxtaposition of living in, I have, I don't think I've quite mentioned this. The, the juxtaposition of living in San Francisco and doing herbal medicine has this other component of, of time and place, which is doing something really, really old in a really, really hip and modern place. And so what that means is that my business and my, uh, reason and, uh, ability to pursue the the purpose, which is access to an education about herbal medicine, has to come through modern forms. So, for example, I was a l- total luddite. I didn't want to work on the internet or work with the internet to um, to do herbal medicine or really to do anything that I love. And um, it was kind of through like a persistent encouragement through friends and and family that I was able to realize with something like Instagram, I can meet more people where they're at and, um, being able to share like the process of making a tincture online is something that can inspire lots of people and it can do it quite instantly. And, um, and so really kind of tying these things together and you know, finally coming facing the fact of, okay, I'm going to get a smartphone and, and use that as a tool. And like any tool, like a hammer, you know, you can build a house or you can hurt, you can, you know, whack your finger and, and, and just using a tool appropriately. I think I've learned a lot as kind of a younger person in this field. I have a lot of elders that I really admire people who I study with and, um, whether that be, my friends who are urban farmers, whether that be master herbalists. Um, and I, I just come with kind of a humble and offering of, um, you know, how do we combine, how do we bring herbalism into the 21st century? And like, why is it here? What is it doing? And, and, and how do we use it to the best of our ability? Um, so that's kind of why I wrote a book. I wanted to it's a little bit of a, of a blend, like put something in people's hands at the same time. It's, you know, kind of this somewhat of a, a dying art. And, um, the, the book is filled with illustrations and graphics and it's, um, I was able to work with friends who did a really incredible job doing editing and layout. And I poured my heart and soul into this book. And so if you're interested um, definitely check it out. People can get the book, um, on my website, which is 1849medicinegarden.com. That's 1849medicinegarden. And then <clears throat> if you're on social media, my handle on Instagram is at 1849, which is all spelled out. So, um, yeah, I, I Wait, love her. Did you say that again? It's 1849, like E-I-G-H. Yes. Yes. 1849, all spelled out. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. No, thank you. And I, I love herbs. I love talking to people about herbs. I think getting to know some herbs in your garden is a really great way to begin the relationship of healing and working with the, with the earth energy. Um, if you're a gardener, there's lots of ways that you can begin to incorporate the medicinals into your landscape. There's lots with beautiful flowers like echinacea or 
if you are somebody who, you know, wants to cultivate a, a food medicine garden, you can start with some of those um, kind of more edible plants and, and bring them into your life that way. Um, if you're somebody that has a certain, you know, issue, if you, if you're worked, worked, working on digestion or asthma, or, you know, you, um, want to get pregnant or you have chronic yeast or, you know, there's all these different ways that you can tap into herbalism and you can, you can start that research project and simultaneously start getting to know those plants by growing them. A lot of the plants are weeds and they would be happy to grow in your garden. I was just going to say that, that I, cause like one of my goals this summer is to grow more herbs, like more edible herbs. But, um, because, because of that point that the bees love them. So you're encouraging pollinators. They come back. A lot of them are perennial. So they'll come back years after year and they'll expand in your garden, like echinacea, you know, and, mm-hmm. Um, well, my oregano that's like overrun my garden, but like thyme and sage and um, just and then like you said, there's probably lots of medicinal plants that I haven't thought of. But oh, that was the other thing is that a lot of them are probably made for your area. So a lot of it's like that natural landscaping piece, right? Yeah, you can definitely weave the the plants into landscaping and there's plants that are definitely region specific that are medicine and grow everywhere. And you just have to figure out what, how to use them as medicine, what their medicine Mm -hmm. is. Mm -hmm. Like mullein that you were talking about grows like a total weed around here. And you know, it grows well around here because um, it's pretty drought resistant, you know, it grows in the sandier soil and in Montana, we don't, always get a lot of rain we have a very dry summers a lot so it's, uh-huh. it really thrives in our environment so that's another you know I think um bonus to growing medicinals is that they you know tend to do better naturally there's some that are certainly tricky definitely like basil is definitely a tough one for me uh yeah. because it's just so susceptible to frost it'll grow really good but you just have to it's best to put it in a pot because you you know who knows you can get a freezing night in the middle of August and then have tons uh-huh. of hot and um I don't know yeah definitely. Uh, there's there's plants that want to be babied and then there's other plants that want to just be totally rogue like mullein I've had people tell me when they try to plant it it won't grow and then other people that say it just shows up in their in their lawn when they had a bronchial infection or something you know it's like it's total magic and and there's aspects of the herbs being wild that actually um, we want to encourage them to to have kind of a rougher time because they produce higher phytochemicals for us as medicine. If you pamper a plant, it's not going to actually be as effective. And I have a piece in the book about that. And also, yeah, there's there's the multi-cycle germination issue like plants that that are from the wild that have to go through freezing winters or pass through an intestinal tract of an animal are going to have be plants that are harder to start from seed and um, get off the bat but then are more resistant and resilient in the long run a lot of medicinals are perennials which is a really beautiful part like you set you put in your medicine garden and it, it just keeps giving 
if you, you know, harvest it properly. Um, but yeah, each region is going to be a little different. So if you, if you're in Montana and you can't grow basil very easily, but you know, somebody who can, you know, there's a, a medicinal basil called that we call Tulsi or holy basil. And, you know, you can do, I love doing this, um, doing medicine trades. So I'll grow holy basil and I'll send it as a tincture to my friend in Portland. And then she'll send me Oregon grape root. And it's like, you know, bioregional medicine, but then there's, there's still, you know, your favorites and, and you can, you can find ways to get those too. I love that. And that ties into what you were saying about communicating on your phone with social media and Instagram. I'm like, I can totally relate. Cause I remember just like before I started podcasting, like I was feeling really lonely and I just felt like so isolated from people in Montana. And then after like, you know, podcasting and meeting people through my podcast, like Facebook friends and in Facebook groups like I've met so many people around the United States and around the world that you know I could just relate to and I know even if we haven't met each other in person which many people I have already we will in the Mm -hmm. future and I just think it's like next weekend we're having this free the seeds event in Kalispell here and like through my podcast I have met so many gardeners that live less than 45 miles from me which in Montana is no distance is like you know nothing (laughs) <laughs> and um and it's crazy that we see each other on Facebook and just like I feel like uh, to me like when people are like oh you guys are always looking at your phone I'm like well I'm connecting with other people like-minded people and then yesterday I was talking to this woman in Saratoga New York who runs the farmers market there and she was talking about um just the impact social media and Instagram and they were having a harder time with Facebook because she was saying now Facebook's so into the ads that if you don't, it's either pay to play or nobody's going to see your posts anyway, which I don't know. I still love Facebook, but, um, there is some of that, but that Instagram live and just different social media posts, how crazy it was and different ways to connect. And that, um, it was just really helping their farmer's market. I mean, yeah. they've, they've been there for a long time and it was a pretty big market, but just even as they were expanding and, and the power of, I think, I think anybody today really sees that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely pros and cons to it. I, I mean, I think as a millennial, sometimes I, I struggle with how much we are on our phones because I feel like my generation doesn't connect in a certain way. Like people don't look each other in the eye or have kind of a fear of connecting in person sometimes, but I totally relate to what you're saying and, and what the farmer's market um, folks were saying is like the ways that it's helped my business and it's helped me connect. I um, am so grateful to truly like I've met so many people through the internet and I, I, I didn't think that I would be one to say that. And I think there is a stigma about that up until recently and, and there, yeah, but also living in the times that we live in with, um, the, you know, the political climate as it is, we truly have to see our tools for what they are and use them in powerful ways. And so, you know, when we see somebody being, um, you know, when there's a a live video of somebody, you know, a young black man being murdered by the police, that's moving and that's powerful. And that's a new way to kind of get people into action and to, and to bring, call them into, um, accountability. And so it's, it's something that I don't think that we should be afraid of. And, and just, um, I encourage people to use the tools responsibly. Yeah. 
Well, even look at the water protectors in North Dakota and like mm -hmm. how it's changed. You know, all of a sudden everybody can see what's happening. Sometimes it shocks me what's still happening. And, you know, especially like two days ago, I don't know when this episode will get up live, but just, uh, was it yesterday? I think today's Friday, either Wednesday or Thursday was when they evacuated the camp and made them all mm -hmm. leave. And they're trying to make them leave right now. And, you know, like I remember one night I was, I just got home, I think from school and my husband turned to me and he's like, look, here's Neil Young live walking around the, um, you know, the Standing Rock camp and how many people went to Standing Rock and know about Standing Rock because of social media. And it's, it's, to me, it's like, it's kind of leveled the playing field. It's made mm -hmm. an equality in education and a, ability for people to connect. Yeah. Um, and I mean, before you know, that wasn't there and you especially like I have another friend who has a podcast who's in Chicago and I'll never forget her talking about that that it's really nice to have our podcasting group because so many of her friends you know go to a physical office and just don't really understand what she does and sometimes she can be lonely even in that big city mm -hmm. yeah I think I think social media and connecting and is part of the resistance um, and the tools that we have and then and then also being able to go internal and to, you know, step into your garden and, um, you know, go down and kind of root into the earth and, and be with the plants is like another type of regeneration that is really powerful in, in these times. I agree. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing with us, Bonnie. And just, um, I hope listeners will order your book. And I think it's full of, um, like I like to say that my guests share golden seeds. And I definitely think you've shared a lot of golden seeds today, but there's <laughs> going to be more jewels in that book if um, listeners get it, if they're interested in that, because I know it's right up my alley. So, uh, and just tell listeners one more time what your website is. Sure. Yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. If folks want to get in touch, um, you can do that through my website, which is 1849medicinegarden.com, 1849medicinegarden.com. And my Instagram handle is at 1849. It's at E-I-G-H-T-E-E-N-F-O-R-T-Y-N-I-N-E. You got it. I'm glad you spelled it out. Uh, thank you so much. You have a great day. Thank you, Jackie. Take care. Okay, thanks. Well, have a great day. It was so fun to talk with you. That was wonderful. Yeah, my pleasure. Okay. If you ever want to chat with me again, I'd be happy to. Okay, cool. Well, it might be maybe this summer. Yeah, no I'm, pressure. <laughs> I'm like so overwhelmed. I just need to get through the next... I think we're down to 80, 75 days of school. And then when they're over, I can, um, but that would be great. Cause like it's I said awesome. today, I only have two more days off between the end of now and the end of the year. Cause we had five snow days and we had to make two of them up. They were going to take today away. And I was like, no, <laughs> I can't. I've never done five interviews in one day. The most I've ever done is like two or three. And oh I wow! One more, one more to do after you today. But it's been so fun. I feel like a little spoiled because I get to talk to everybody first <laughs> and hear yeah. all these great stories. And so, um, thanks for sharing. Yeah, thank you. This is fun. Okay. All right. Have a good have one. a good day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Organic Gardener podcast. 
I'd like to encourage you to visit our website at organicgardenerpodcast.com. That's just organicgardenerpodcast.com. And it will link right to the show notes and all that we've talked about on today's show. Thanks for listening and remember to grow vocal. Thank you.